Hi, Breakout listeners. You've just made an excellent choice. You're listening to the number one podcast in education, number one in self-improvement, and the number seven podcast across all categories. Yep, you're pretty smart and you're in good company. But to help spread the word, please subscribe to the show. Give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. It helps us reach more people who just might need these stories. What we know in a lot of the science is that, you know, cognitive ability and IQ, that predicts a lot of success in individuals. But that only explains about, oh, about 25% of a person's success. We've got the remaining 75% out there that's really unknown. That's Dr. Brian Davidson, the founder and president of MindView, an assessment tool and learning platform that first measures your mindset and then helps you improve it. MindView was born out of Brian's fascination with what makes accomplished people so successful. But when he began to assess a range of individuals, from high-ranking military personnel to prison inmates, Brian learned some surprising things about success. We would come across these folks who would be at the pinnacle of their careers, but in some cases they wouldn't score all that well on the tool. And then we could have a conversation with many of these people. The story behind the scores became so fascinating. On this episode, Brian shares those extraordinary stories of self-awareness and change. We also dive deep into the assessment tool and what those mindset scores really mean for success and failure. We loved Brian's work so much, we decided to do a two-parter. In our next episode, we get super vulnerable when Kelly and I take the assessment and Brian debriefs our results. Don't miss it. Welcome to The Breakout, a show about smashing through life's little boxes and forging your own path. I'm Dr. Carrie Ulrich. And I'm Kelly Gunther. Carrie and I are people and change experts and best friends. We've spent more than 25 years helping organizations navigate change and get the best out of their people. Come on, we know change is hard, but staying the same can even be harder. On The Breakout, we prove that you can escape expectations and best of all, we show you how. Ryan, give us a short overview of what MindView is. We are basically a mental performance company that works to first measure and then ultimately develop things like motivation, grit, and resilience to help build up people, help them become great leaders, and then optimize performance and enhance mental wellness in people. Oh, I love that, Brian, because we're all about how people break out of things. How do you get better? How do you improve your life? So this is just right in the wheelhouse. So we're very excited. And you're in Kansas City, which has some really good barbecue. A lot of great barbecue in Kansas City, that is for sure. A lot of great barbecue. Oklahoma Joe's, which is the one. Well done. Yes. That's a deep cut of some Kansas City barbecue for those of you who follow that. That is a great, great spot. Absolutely. It is really good. Okay. So we won't do a barbecue show. So instead, (laughs) how do you help people break out? What we focus on is developing things like a sense of purpose in people. That's one of the components that we're measuring. That's really, really important. Other other skills are like hope, for example. And that's about when we hit those roadblocks and obstacles. How do we find pathways around those obstacles and things like hardiness that helps us weather through that adversity? So it's just a combination of all those factors. And that what we find is that so many of these mental skills, they all work together in tandem 
So as you build up motivation, that's going to help you to become more perseverant and gritty. As you build up grit, that's going to help out with adaptability and resilience. As you build up that resilience, that then helps out with motivation. So these factors are just constantly working together. So why don't we go a little bit backwards and tell us about your background and why you pulled into this mindset assessment and starting the business? Yeah, so I'm a, a curious soul. I'll, I'll say that a lot of my family members and close friends make a lot of fun of me, quite honestly, because I'm constantly asking questions about why. Well, you know, why, why, why this, why that? And I'm really fascinated on why people succeed and what makes people thrive and, and do well in their lives, careers, their work, leadership, students, academic performance, you name it, right? I'm just curious, why do people succeed? What we know in a lot of the science is that, you know, cognitive ability and IQ, that predicts a lot of success in individuals. But that only explains about, oh, about 25% of a person's success. We've got the remaining 75% out there that's really unknown. And so that kind of led me down this path to study these factors that today we call mindset skills. My academic background, we call them non-cognitive skills. Basically, these, these factors outside of cognitive ability that we find are related to so many different positive life outcomes. So you studied it, and then you create an assessment, which for those people who don't understand, it's very difficult to create assessment that's valid and reliable. Like this is not, you just put something down on paper and you're like, that looks good. Let's use a scale of one to five and now I'm going to predict the future. <laughs> so it's really hard work. Take me through what I would do and what I would learn about myself through this assessment. Well, so the, as you said, it, it's a bear of a process, right, to, mm -hmm. to get an assessment created. I initially wanted to do this for my dissertation and all my graduate work at the University of Kansas. And my committee said, you know, Brian, make that your life school because it's going to take you forever. Yeah. <laughs> and boy, they, they were spot on. So I started the process back in 2012, largely focusing on, on this with students. And I developed a theoretical model to first measure all these different non-cognitive factors. Mm -hmm. And uh, we found it was correlating with academic performance really, really well. And then just anecdotally, we could see that students that were scoring lower in a lot of these skills, they were having a tougher go in, in school in many areas of their life, quite honestly. So we felt like, okay, we were hitting on something at that point in time. And so we went through another three-year process, finally got the model to hold together. But we initially thought when we were developing the assessment, we thought a person largely had these factors. So when you're talking about grit and resilience, hope, intrinsic motivation, you name it, that we often think, oh, a person succeeds because they just have it, right? Because they have grit, because they have resilience. They're just kind of born with it. Exactly. And and we thought, okay, that's what we were capturing. And then as we continued to do more and more testing, we, we would assess very accomplished, high-performing individuals. And in many cases, we would come across these folks who, again, would be at the pinnacle of their careers, doing great work, whether or not this would be a CEO of an organization, professional athlete, military general, people that were doing quite well, right? Who you look at them and you'd say, oh, my goodness, they are the epitome of grit and resilience and of a self-motivated person. But in some cases, they wouldn't score all that well on the tool. And at first, we were scratching our heads like, what's going on? This person clearly has it, right? They are self-motivated, gritty, and resilient as it can be, but yet they weren't scoring like that. And then we could then have a conversation with many of these people. And in those conversations, the story behind the scores became so fascinating. And we heard a familiar tune where a person would say, yeah, I've accomplished all these great things in my life, but guess what? I'm miserable right now. And I've been pushing hard for three, four years, and I'm just wiped out. 
right now, or I've got stuff going on in my home life, uh, whether or not it was with a spouse or, or children or aging parents. And so what we found is what we were really capturing with the tools, not so much a definition of who somebody is, but what we were capturing is more of a snapshot for how's this person thinking and feeling. Are they feeling internally motivated right now? Are they feeling gritty? Are they feeling resilient at this particular point in time? So that was a real enlightening discovery for us. We then started to realize, whoa, we were capturing something quite different than what we initially thought we were measuring on the assessment. So uh, it's been fascinating. Yeah, we love science because you start down the path and you think you're going to get something, but the data show you differently. So let's say I I take the assessment. What's it going to tell me. Yeah. So it's about a 15 minute assessment. It takes, it's 120 items altogether. And uh, what it really is going to help you understand is giving you some insight and awareness into what is going on in your mind relative to a whole bunch of other people out there in our global data set. We've assessed people from over 24 different countries across the world today. So it's going to give you a gauge and a guide to really grasp okay, what is going on in my mind right now. And what we find is people will take our tool and light bulbs go on for people where in most cases, people tend to score lower than what they anticipate. This is a trend that, that we have found, you know, in assessing all these people. I don't think I've ever come across somebody who said, oh, I scored too high. But just about everybody <laughs> comes across and says, oh, whoa, you know, that's uh, there's some lower areas than I anticipated. But we really try to educate people again that this is not who you are. Everyone's accustomed to the traditional personality assessments that are designed to say, hey, this is, you know, you fit this box, you're in this category, this is the definition of who you are, these are your strengths, etc. All great beneficial tools for developing self-awareness, but we're trying to give you a different set of information, different glimpse, really, of what's going on in your mind relative to others out there. Yeah, which I love because, yes, I know what's going on in my mind, Brian, but I probably distort it when I compare it to other people. What do you see that, why is it, I'm never higher than I think I am, Brian? Why am I always kind of lower? Well, I think there's multiple reasons for that. But I think another part of this is people are accustomed to like, so we give a percentile score. So again, ranging from first percentile all the way up to 99th percentile. People think, well, that's a percentage. And you know, in school, I was an A student. And so I should be scoring all <laughs> in the 90s. And and then when all of a sudden, you know, they score in the eighth percentile on one of the factors, they're like, oh, my goodness, even like 50th percentile, people have a difficult time grasping that 50th percentile is, is normal, right? This is completely normal. And even for the people that do score low, I try to tell folks, like, that's okay. Okay, it's okay to score low in these factors. But what we don't want, however, is for you to stay low. So we want to use the information as a, some insight and awareness as that guide to then help us grow and develop so that way we can feel a stronger sense of motivation, feel a greater sense of purpose, feel that perseverance in our lives, that hope, that resilience, all these elements that we're working to, to measure and ultimately build in people. Yeah, I love that, Brian. So it's stepping on the scale. It's like seeing where I'm at right now. And then I talk to you. I'm like, oh, I'm a little bit lower than I thought. I'm an F. I'm just joking, Brian. But I'm in the, I have failed, Brian. By the way, Kelly and I have that too. We use an assessment with percentiles and people are like, I want to be 99 in everything. I'm like, you'll be batshit crazy if you're 99 in everything. So you're going to talk to me. How do you help people then? Do they do they take it again in, in a couple of years? Like what's that path of, of recovery? 
that's the beauty when, when you measure something as a snapshot, then we can reassess over time. Typically, that's six to 12 months of time. And in between that, then we work to do some sort of interventions and, and support to build up these factors. After the assessment is complete, the MindView platform then recommends learning modules to help build up areas that are less strong. But in an organizational setting, team culture also has a lot to do with the results. These mindset factors, they don't exist in a vacuum at all. Like there are so many different elements of our lives that can shape and influence ultimately how we're thinking and feeling. So not only can we look at individual results, because that's one side of the equation, but we can also look at aggregate results across a different team or across the entire wide organization to see what is the collective sense of motivation right now? What is the collective sense of grit? What's the collective sense of hope? And then we want to use that information to then make adjustments, shift some things up, right? And and the reasons why people score high or low, it can be very, truly limitless, right? But as you start to have conversations, what we find is the greatest piece is the data and the results and the analytics that strikes up conversations in people. And those conversations is where the transformational change really occurs. Yeah. And what I love, Brian, that you talked about too is, so you, you've used it on a lot of high performers. You might have the perception that they're doing great. Like you mentioned, this person's high performing and they're at the top of their, their game. And then they do this, they're like, no, I hate my job. And as an organization... I'd want to know that. And what a beautiful conversation you could have with someone around that. Yeah, if, if we can first see where our people are at, now we can try to intervene support. So I, we never want to use this for punitive purposes. This no. is not designed to weed somebody out. But instead, this is more about retention and, and helping people really be at the very best, help them thrive at their fullest levels. In research... I always loved the statement of just asking a question changes the outcome and changes the conversation just by asking a question. It just speaks to the power so much of what tools and resources and the questions that you ask in combination together can have. I can see how many companies will want to do this down the road, incorporating this early on in the employee life cycle, I think will be really important in terms of just helping people understand who they are, what they need, how managers can help their employees be successful. I think that will be really, really impactful. So we talked a lot, Brian, about, you mentioned high achievers and you've, you've done a lot of research on that, but you've also done some research with inmates. Probably the most fascinating group I've ever assessed yeah. before. Um, so this is years back. And so I, I was doing a, a keynote with a, a group of community college presidents and, and their boards. And I had this individual come up to me and he said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a sheriff here and I think we could use this for our, our deputies. And as I started to talk to him, I said, one of the challenges that we're facing is we've got all these high performers in our data set. But I would love to try to assess a group of people that are scoring low. And he said, well, what do you think? And I said, how about studying some inmates? And he looked at me and he said, I think I can help you out with that. And so I, I went into the uh, detention center there and, and I had no idea what to expect. They told me this could be people ranging from DWI offense to first degree murder or some of the folks that we had assessed. And again, this is purely a research study that we were doing. And so we, we couldn't pay the inmates to take this survey. And so I, I asked the folks there at the prison, you know, what, what can we do to help motivate them? And they said, well, they love food. They, they'll be, do, be doing a lot you know, for food. 
And so I said, well, you know, what do you think? They're like, well, how about some, some cookies? Well, lo and behold, my neighbor is a Nabisco rep. And so I got all these Oreo cookies. So here I come walking in, right? With these boxes <laughs> of Oreo cookies and we set them down. And so that, that was our method of, of payment. So as we collected all the data and started to run the analyses, you know, what we found was somewhat surprisingly, they weren't really low in everything. So they were clearly below average in nearly all of the skills that, that we were assessing. But, you know, their, their levels of self-efficacy, which is about confidence to accomplish their goals, was pretty close to normal. And in other areas, they were relatively close to normal as well. Hope was in pretty good shape. We found that they were low in, in growth mindset. So this is that belief that I can fundamentally grow and change who I am as a person. We also found um, that their self-control was really low. So uh, kind of the temptations and resisting temptations, delaying gratification, that piece was quite low. But the lowest that we found was the integrity scores. We find really that combination of low integrity meets low self-control can often become problematic. When I was later talking with the folks at, at the prison there, I was sharing these results and they said, yeah, you know, a lot of these people, they're not bad people, but they said in many cases, they're just really impulsive. Right there, they will do something where they'll see a car mm-hmm. sitting there with keys in it, and they hop in, and they take it for a ride, and boom, I've got car theft on on my hands. And yeah. so, our thinking was, you know, boy, we'd love to be able to help those in correctional facilities build up these skills because just think what we could do for society if we can help build up these skills before we put somebody back in into society. And so, uh, it's an area that we've continued to explore and figure out. We'll continue to push forward. That's amazing work, Kelly. I know you love assessments. Talk about my 99 percentile business partner, Kelly Gunther. <laughs> we love a good assessment and self-awareness. We sure do. And what I appreciate a lot about what you are attempting to do is not only an assessment, but it's about what do you do once you have the results and the feedback, which is really what an assessment, a good assessment does, is it really helps people really internalize and think through what are those next steps you want to take resilience is something that, you know, a lot of people do struggle with because they do kind of wallow, pick the scab and have a hard time moving on and moving forward. I should know because I am not a resilient person. So I know I would score very, very low on that particular scale. So Well, no, Kelly, <laughs> we just, we, you never know, right? And, until you assess and, and get that engage. And we want to think of these factors like muscles in our body. Everybody's capable of being resilient. The question is like, how strong is that mental muscle? right now. And so if we can get that gauge, get that snapshot, now we can do something about it. The whole idea of from, you know, management and leadership, what you can measure, you can ultimately manage and build. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole idea. I'll never forget uh, one of the greatest experiences I've ever had was I uh, went over to New Delhi, India to go work with an organization several years back, you know, much different the United States. It's incredible. But in India, what I found was many of these terms and these concepts were new to them. And so with this particular organization, we had everybody take the assessment and then we did some training and then we followed it up with some some coaching. And as we were doing the, the coaching, I had a woman who was sharing to me, she says, I was planning to, to commit suicide later this, this week. And she said, but by learning about hope and resilience, I recognize I don't have to do that, right? Yeah. And so that's, to me, what it's all about, right? That's, that's our why. That's our own purpose of why we're, we're trying to build up these skills here in the States. It's not like we're free of, of challenges here. Everybody is going through something. Even the people that you think are just 
got everything pulled together and they're they're doing great. Well, guess what? You know, everybody, mm-hmm. you, me, every one of these listeners, we're all dealing with something. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's where hope, that's where grit, that's where resilience really comes into, into play. That can keep us moving forward and, and help us be at our very best. I think for me, it was how fleeting some things can be and how you may think it's horrible right now, but in a year, it's not. In six months, it's not. And so that feeling of, oh my God, it's never going to change and I'm never going to be able to break free and I'm never going to be able to break out. It's okay. And a year from now, you'll say, holy shit, I can't believe I got through all that. It is what you do with it though. It Mm -hmm. is, you choose, it is very much an assessment is only as good as what you're willing to do with the results once you have them. But what I do love about this assessment is unlike psychometric assessments where you tend not to see a lot of difference you can see some difference a year or two down the road if you make some changes, so. I have goosebumps thinking of the stories that have illuminated the power of the assessment. So if we go back to why you developed MindView, what was the need that you saw? Well, so, you know, I initially had this background in education and I was trying to figure out why are my students succeeding and doing so well. And I th- at that point in time, I thought it came down to intrinsic motivation and self-discipline. So I said, okay, I want to figure out how that stuff develops. And so I came down to the University of Kansas. So I was in the field of counseling psychology and KU's program put a heavy emphasis on this growing area of psychology called positive psych. And so positive psychology as a field, instead of fixating on what's wrong with people, okay, positive psych focuses on what's right with people. All the factors that lead to wellness, to success and performance, those elements of of the human condition. And so I started to learn about all these factors and and I started to wonder to myself, can we teach this stuff? Could we cultivate these things. And at that point in time, I was doing a rotation at a university counseling center doing therapy with students. And I found myself really frustrated, Carrie and Kelly, with the whole process of, of therapy. And I felt like it was so reactive that we waited until somebody was really struggling so much before we then tried to help them out. I thought, you know, gosh, could, could we do something more on the proactive side? Could we build up a lot of these positive psychological factors? as a way to buffer, protect against some of that psychopathology. So that's kind of when the light bulb started to go on for me and say, okay, this is what I want to do, right? Is develop some sort of organization that would pull together psychologists and educators and human performance people together to figure out first, how do we measure the stuff really well? And then secondly, how do we build these skills to help people succeed and thrive? So look at all of your questioning. Do you ever tell your family, well, look at what all my asking the why and being so curious has allowed me to do, everybody. I'm literally saving lives because I've asked why and my curiosity. So what a tremendous success to not only use that gift of curiosity to delve into the psychology, the positive psychology, but also to really look at how can I share this with the rest of the world? Because it's so needed, especially now, you offer a tool that gives people just a deeper opportunity to to learn about themselves and to, more importantly, take action. What we know is is that the science supports the importance of all these factors. Mm -hmm. And it's not just one field of science. It's not just psychology, right? But there's behavioral economics. There's social psych, positive psych. There's developmental psychology. There's education literature. There's health outcomes that are related to so many of these factors that we as an organization, in my view, we just feel like we can do a lot of good. 
in the world by helping to, to build up these factors and people. So that's just what pushes us day in and day out. Mm. So how has this changed? I mean, you've, you've mentioned a couple of really powerful stories. You mentioned a cadet who realized he was unhappy. Yeah, so this is one of those head-scratcher situations. So so we were working with a, an ROTC program that's preparing the Army to build up these officer candidates. And uh, I get a call from this professor of military science. He said, our, our number one ranked cadet just scored in the first percentile, bottom of the barrel on the assessment. And so he said, well, what, what should I do? And I said, talk to him, have a conversation, mm-hmm. ask some questions, see what's going on. And so they then had these one-on-one debriefs with each one of the cadets and they brought up uh, the assessment results with them. And this cadet went on to, to share that, um, yeah, he was doing really well in the program. His academic performance at that point in time was still doing well, but internally he was miserable. He told them that he didn't really want to be in this program. He was doing it out of family pressure. His dad was an uh, officer in, in the military, pushing him hard to do the same thing in life. And he said, you know, I really want to go a different path with my life. You know, he was succeeding on all the external indicators of success, but internally it was a much different story. And so what they could do then is see this and then have some conversations with him and help get him on a path that really gave his life greater meaning and purpose. And so then, of course, we can reassess people over time. We've now tracked and, and seen the growth of this individual. And it's just been been a great example, right, of, of how once you can see what's going on and have some conversations and having a caring, supportive leader who takes the time to inquire and ask some questions, boy, that can make a wonderful impact on a person's life. A hundred percent. And you're so right. That story perfectly encapsulates why we're doing what we're doing. Cal, I was just, I'm going to interrupt because like those expectations just fuck you up. That's some stuff that you must see a lot of. You know, I've been, always been fascinated to also study the people that are scoring really high on a lot of these factors, trying to figure out like why. So again, I, I'm in the Midwest, I'm in Kansas City area. And initially a lot of our data was, you know, from more Midwestern states. And, and a lot of these people that we we're seeing score really well on the tool. I would ask them about their backgrounds. In many cases, as kids, had a high level of responsibility and expectation placed on them. So many of them would tell me, oh, I grew up on a farm. They had to take care of the cattle in, in the morning, right? They had to go do the chores and take care of the chickens and, and whatnot. And they just had this responsibility. And as opposed to so often now, we often put our kids in all these programs now and everything's so structured. We often don't provide them the opportunity to go through some challenges in many cases that often be the helicopter parents or the snowplow parents and pave the path for our kids. And, and I think when it comes to developing these skills, you know, we need to do the opposite. We need to allow our, our children to, to face some challenges and deal with some failure and to learn how to recover. And I remember one study that that I read several years back, it was looking at this factor called internal locus of control, which is all about a sense of whether or not a person feels like they can influence the outcomes of their future, or if they think like luck, fate, and happenstance and whatnot, it's really what drives all their outcomes in life. And the study was looking at, I believe it was uh, in countries in Southern Africa. And the one factor that they found was actually a predictor was whether or not that person had experienced a drought by the age of five. Think about it. So a, a young child at the age of five or lower, right? Their family's going through a drought, largely agricultural communities. And they're probably hearing their parents say things like, well, there's nothing that we can do about this, right? This is beyond our control. And what they found in this study is that effect stayed with that child for nearly four decades of their life. And so you think about this, think about going through the pandemic, 
right? And how many people were saying like, oh, this is well beyond our control. There's nothing that we can do. Think about how that was shaping people's mindsets. One of the things that we're seeing in a lot of the data and not just our own data, but with these younger populations, they're struggling. They're having a tough, mm -hmm. tough go. The CDC came out with a report last year and you're looking at the, you know, the levels of suicidality and suicidal ideation that's going on, rates of depression that's going on. Um, you know, it's very concerning. Something else that we're trying to figure out with these younger populations, too, we're seeing integrity to be one of the lowest areas among these young, younger populations that we're assessing. We're trying to figure out like what's going on here. I think it could be a multitude of, of different factors. Another idea is this concept of ethical fading. And this is applied within organizations where ethical fading is basically described as when you got a group of people and somebody does some act that's you know kind of unethical, if it doesn't get addressed, then it becomes normalized. And then it's like, oh, okay, well, I guess we can do that now, right? And so now your standard of ethics starts to slowly kind of fade and go down. And over time, you just see a deterioration. I'll put it as a as a mother of a 15-year-old who has witnessed quite a lot of tomfoolery and ethical fading in the public eye. I will tell you, it would be interesting to see how he would have scored an in integrity 15 years ago. Because he can say, well, like, seriously, but that person was elected and that's what they do. The power of modeling these skills. I, I share that with every group and leader that I talk with. I said, if you want to develop these skills, model them. Okay, What we see is, is what we do. So all the listeners out there constantly be thinking about not only what am I saying, but what am I doing? And then how, how are other people receiving those messages? And in many cases, it can be incredibly powerful. Brian, so you have one minute that you are with someone who is stuck in a cycle, they're in a problematic mindset, and they want to break out of it. What do you tell them? Oh boy, good, good question. I would encourage them to think about the four key questions regarding the concept of ikigai. And this is a Japanese concept all about the reason why you get up out of bed in the morning. And those four questions are, what do you love to do? Number one. Secondly, what are you good at doing? Third, what does the world need out there that gives you a sense of purpose and belongingness? And then fourth, what can you do to earn a living and get paid, rewarded, compensated to, to give you the, the quality of life that, that you want to live? Find that common answer to those four key questions. Uh, that's going to give you a sense of why. That's going to be your sense of purpose. And I think that can really drive people to a high degree. That is a mic drop moment, if ever there was one, I think. Brian, thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate all the work that you've done. We certainly appreciate your curiosity. Please don't let it ever stop. Are you developing any other assessments? Uh, not right now. It's really hard process. And so I'm <laughs> needing a little break here. Uh, but one thing I, I would love to do in time, you know, is to we focus on much more of the intrapersonal factors. I think another key component to a person's success are the interpersonal skills. So that empathy, that multicultural awareness, uh, forgiveness, things along those lines, I think would be the next great mountain to try to climb. Excellent. Thank you so much for being a guest. Yeah, thanks so much, Kelly. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Brian. It was wonderful. Thank you so much. That's Dr. Brian Davidson, founder of MindView. We loved this interview so much, we decided to go back for more. Be sure to tune in to our next episode when we do the MindView assessment and Brian takes us through our results. Surprising, revealing, all of the above. Don't miss it.
This is the breakout from Abrachi Group. At Abrachi Group, we offer coaching and consulting to help you dig into change. Here's what we know. Only about 10% of us are really self-aware, but 90% of us think we are. Without self-awareness, improvement is tough because if you don't know what box you're in, you can't break out of it. That's where we come in. We've got a soft spot for people itching to forge a fresh path, the high flyers who need to be nudged out of career ruts, teams who are looking to become more aligned, and yes, even those bold souls who've occasionally worn the jerk badge. Connect with us at abracigroup.com. And don't forget to subscribe to The Breakout so you never miss a new episode. And make sure you're following us on Instagram at The Breakout Pod. I'm Kelly Gunther. And I'm Dr. Carrie Ulrich. See you next time.